How am I doing? Okay, thank you guys. Well, uh, we had a great time in the Healthy Relationships series. Anyone, anyone enjoy that? Anyone's relationships a little healthier? It's going to be a process. Uh, if you're a little discouraged, don't, uh, don't worry. Uh, but I, I think we all took some steps together as a church family. I'm so proud of you guys. Well, um, I'm excited for a new series as, as we start this Advent time of year. I'll explain that in a minute. But, but uh, I love that, that Thanksgiving is a stepping stone into Advent. Anyone have any good Thanksgiving food? Yeah, come on. Uh, I, I had some good Thanksgiving food. You know, part of the problem, though, with Thanksgiving, and really most holidays where there's a lot of food involved, is the, like, ongoing nature of eating. You know what I'm talking about? Like, eating is not just a one-time event on Thanksgiving. It is a day-long activity. You know what I'm talking about? So you get there, uh, and, and you got that the pre-game food that you just kind of nibble on all day. Anyone have any fra- favorite pre-game foods? Just shout it out. Chips and dip. Okay. Cheese. Just cheese. Yep. Just cheese bricks. Just gnaw on a cheese brick. Absolutely. And you have any other favorite pre-game food? Peppermint fudge. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Anyone else? Any takers? What is it? Cream cheese and salad? Oh, cream cheese and celery. I like a little healthy. Come on. Yes, there you go. Ranch and carrots. Come on. You know, so if you're like me, though, the problem is you really enjoy that pregame food. You know what I mean? And and a lot of times it's kind of like stuff that it like doesn't really fill you, but it will kind of like make you feel sick like little brittles. You know what I'm talking about? Like the brittle. It's just like there's nothing redemptive about the brittle except for like the one moment it's touching your tongue. Uh, And then after that you just feel sick. And so you eat all this pregame food and then you get to the real deal and you're like half hungry, but half repulsed, and you feel like guilt, and like, Lord, is this like a, a licensed gluttony day? Like, you just feel like a mix of emotions by the time you actually get to, to the real deal, and your appetite is, is, is half there at best, right? Um, and so, I, you know, I think often as, as followers of Jesus, we do, we do the same. You know, we live in a busy and crazy world. Life pulls at us. Our world pulls at us, politics pull at us, advertisers pull at us, social media pulls at us, our our finances pull at us, our stress, our fears, our relational issues, they pull at us, and then throw in Christmas on top of that. And it's like, it's the most wonderful time, and it's not for a lot of us, because it just becomes a whole lot more stressful. You got family issues, you know, that you got to deal with. You've got money you got to spend that you don't know if you have. You've got a lot of expectations around family members, around kids, around other people, right? And it is often not the most wonderful time of the year. It's often the most stressful time of the year, right? It's the most stressful time of the year, right? And so what happens is um, we end up stuffing our lives with busyness. We stuff our lives with stress. We stuff our lives with people's expectations that we feel we need to uphold. We stuff our lives with stuff And then we remember, 
isn't this about Jesus? Right? Like somewhere along the way, you have that moment, you're like, wait, 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 what am I doing? You know? And, and that's not just something we do in Christmas. We, we end up often doing that all year long, right? Like, like we, we, we stuff our lives and we stuff our calendars, and then we realize we often kind of have Jesus uh, as an afterthought that we've already lost our appetite for, right? Um, and, and the reality is, this is important, number one, because we're made, we're made to worship. Christmas is about him, but it's also important because we become what consumes us and has our attention. We slowly become what has our attention. That's why often we leave Christmas less connected with Jesus than when we came in, right? Because we become what we consume, and we become what consumes us and has our attention. Um, uh, pastor, author, John Mark Comer, in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says it like this. He says, because you give your attention, I'm sorry, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. And as we prepare uh, to remember the coming of Jesus and even prepare our heart for the second coming of Jesus one day, it means making room. You know, Advent, that word, means arrival or coming. And so uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels which tell us about the coming and the life of Jesus on the earth are filled with stories of people making room in preparation for the coming of Jesus. Making room in their hearts, making room in the inn or the stable, making room uh, you know, in, in, um, in their lives, making room in their schedule. It's filled with stories of people who make room to prioritize beholding Jesus in the midst of their chaotic and crazy lives. And I just wanna say at Antioch Fullerton, that's who we are, and that's who we wanna continue to become, is people who love the presence of Jesus. We don't live in a bunch of craziness and then do the presence of God on the side. We live from the presence of God to the world around us. We don't do it perfectly, but that is, that is who we are, at least who we want to be, is people that prioritize the presence of God and beholding him. And of course, as we prioritize him, we'll become more and more like him. As scripture says, we behold him with unveiled face, being changed into his glory, right? And if we come out of Christmas more stressed than we came in and more disconnected with Jesus, I would suggest to us that we had our priorities wrong. And so in this series, we're going to be looking at stories of people who prioritized the presence of Jesus and made room for him. Hence, the series is going to be called Making Room. It's an Advent series. And so what we're going to invite you to do is learn from these stories of people that are very different from one another and how they made room for Jesus. And we're going to invite you to be doing that in your own lives in the midst of a busy season to make room for Jesus. 
him. And this week, we're going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Um, so that's actually a part of the typical or historic, historic Advent calendar, John the Baptist, and thinking about his life and message is actually typically a part of that for people. So you can turn to Matthew chapter 3, looking at John the Baptist's life. As you turn there, just a little history, John the Baptist was born to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he was actually a miracle baby because they were too old to have kids. And, and his ministry and message were one of preparing the way for Jesus. In fact, there were three Old Testament prophecies hundreds of years before John the Baptist ever walked the earth that prophesied who John the Baptist would be and what he would be about. One was in Isaiah, two were in the book of Malachi. And for example, right in Isaiah, we see this. That, uh, it speaks of John the Baptist, Isaiah chapter 40. says this, in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist's message to make room for Jesus was both an announcement that the kingdom is here and a call to repentance. So we're going to be talking about how we can utilize that wonderful gift of repentance in our lives and our relationships today to make space for Jesus this season of our lives. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3. We're actually just going to be kind of camping in three main verses, super simple, um, as we look at the life and message of John the Baptist. It says this, in those days, starting in verse 1, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, we just read this verse, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. And so you see this beautiful thing that this has been prophesied for hundreds of years that one would come to prepare a way for the king. The people at that time were expecting a political kingdom. They wanted the Republicans, the Democrats to come and settle their enemies, right? And take care of the issues. And they were disappointed. And Matthew was reminding them of, no, no, no. No, this is, you're not missing it. This is the one who is prophesied. Your expectations were wrong about the nature of the kingdom, but God's not wrong. This is what's been prophesied hundreds of years. And, and so we have Matthew reminding us of the nature of the kingdom that's already been talked about that John the Baptist would come and bring. His message to enter that kingdom was repentance. So I first want to talk about the nature of, of, of his announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, we celebrate something really unique as, as Christians. We believe that God so loved you that he came out of heaven, came to the earth, lived, he was born of a virgin, he was fully God and he was fully man, and then he died for the sins of you and me. So that no matter what we've done, we could come back to him and be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead. I mean, these are crazy claims. Now, like John the Baptist, it had been prophesied hundreds of years before, right? So that in and of itself is a miracle. He, he, he fully fulfilled all these prophecies, hundreds of prophecies. But we believe something pretty crazy. And we celebrate, that's what we celebrate is Christmas. At Christmas is, is, is a God who came 
to the earth because he loved us. But he didn't just come as an individual. He came to bring a kingdom. And this is important. What John the Baptist is announcing is not just the coming of the Savior, but the coming of another kingdom. Let me explain this practically. Uh, Y'all good with your tryptophan if I just kind of teach for a few minutes here? All right, cool. A kingdom, let me explain that simply. Think king's domain. A kingdom is wherever the territory or dominion of a king would be over. Jesus came into a broken and hurting world to set up his, his reign and his dominion. Now, how does his kingdom come. He didn't come and stage a coup. He didn't come and stage a takeover. He didn't stage an insurrection. He didn't stage any of that. His, the Bible talks about the kingdom like a seed that was planted. And this seed was planted among other seeds. This kingdom was planted in the midst of other kingdoms. He didn't come and just knock those kingdoms down. One day he'll come again, but he didn't come and knock all those kingdoms. He just planted seeds. He planted the beginnings of a kingdom in our lives and in the midst of other kingdoms that would slowly grow up, as Scripture says, and overtake. And so in case we think Jesus is some kind of narcissist, that he just is about setting up his kingdom, we realize that it's good when his kingdom comes. That this is what the people of Israel have been waiting for for hundreds of years. They wanted a king to come and overtake them. They wanted a king because they knew that that king's rule and reign would be what they need. So I want you to stop and think for a minute. What does it look like when Jesus' dominion and rule comes? What does it look like under his reign? Any takers? Just shout out a few thoughts. Peace, exactly. What is it? Love. love, exactly, love. What else? Kindness. Kindness. Justice. Justice, absolutely. Equality. Equality. Assurance. Assurance. Right? These are freedom, transformation. The sick are healed, the lost are saved, sins are forgiven. Your relationships are reunited. Families are brought back together. Healing of trauma happens. God's, when God's kingdom comes, it is good news. That's what the word gospel means. And so that's what Jesus, he's the gospel of the kingdom. The good news is that Jesus' reign is coming into a broken world and he's gonna heal the sick and he's gonna love the unlovable and he's gonna forgive our sin and he's gonna care for us and one day we'll rule and reign again with him. Now that's good news. And the amazing news is Jesus invites us to participate in that kingdom with him. It's like a seed, it starts small in our lives, but it starts to grow and day by day set you free and transform you and heal your heart and restore your relationships and, and transform your mind and give you peace more and more and more. And so I want you to think just for a minute, what would it look like for the kingdom of God to come in your life? You don't need to shout it out, but what would it look like for the kingdom of God to enter into your workplace, into your marriage, into your friendships, into your thought life, into your emotions, what would it look like for his kingdom 
to come. You see, I've got good news is that Jesus wants to step into your world just like he came into the world. He wants to step into your world. And he wants to step into your brokenness and your pain. And he wants to establish his kingdom of freedom and life and hope and peace in your hearts and your homes. You see, the means by which we enter into that is repentance. That's the context in which Jesus or John the Baptist is saying to repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why do we need to repent? Why is a message of repentance at the center uh, of not only the life of Jesus, it's at the center of, of John the Baptist. Jesus came preaching repentance. The apostles preach repentance throughout the book of Acts. Throughout the, the epistles, it calls us to repent. It is at the forefront of the kingdom message. We repent because there's a greater kingdom. We repent because there's a better way. We repent because the answer is not just in the right or the left, it's in the third way, another kingdom, and his name is Jesus. Repentance is the way we enter into that. You see, it takes an entering in because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the values of God's kingdom are often different than the kingdom, the, the values of the world. If you want to put that graphic up, here's just a few examples. If you want to put that the graphic, thank you. Um, <clears throat> Conditional love. We often so work for love in our relationships. But in the kingdom of Jesus, we have unconditional love from a father who never runs out of love, right? In, a, in, in the world, we experience truth that changes with culture. One day you're kosher, and the next day that word isn't right. You know, it's not politically correct, right? It is always changing, right? Uh, in, in the kingdom of Jesus, we have truth that is unchanging that sets us free. In the kingdom of the world, we often feel abandoned, but in the kingdom of God, we have a father to the fatherless who's always adopting children, right? In the kingdom of the world, we grasp for power, 2020, right? We grasp for power. In the kingdom of Jesus, we get power within, and that sets us free by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the world, we often value outward appearance. In the kingdom of God, he doesn't want to set you free on the outside. He wants to set you free on the inside, now, I could keep going, uh, but God wants to move us from one place. Repentance moves us from this experience into this experience, right? And so repentance, the definition of it is to change one's mind or to turn, to turn, to turn and to change one's mind. You see, um, if you actually, sorry, Tim, I'm making it hard for you. If you want to head back to the other slide now, if we're gonna move from this side over here, it doesn't just take trying hard, it takes an actual change of our worldview. It takes a change of how we see ourselves, a change of what we're believing about God, ourselves, and the world, right? Um, again, repentance is not the end goal, it's the doorway to the goal of experiencing Jesus and his kingdom. Now, I wanna illustrate this, right? Repentance is moving from one space to another, but we often get this wrong. So bear with me here. I'm getting a little workout, working off that turkey. You know what I'm talking about? 
So if repentance moves us from one experience, one kingdom into another kingdom, right, into, from lies into truth, from hopelessness into hope, right, we often get this wrong. We often think that repentance is feeling bad for our sin and having to stay in there. I want to get there. There's, there's life, right? The kingdom of God's in there. I want to get in there, but we often think repentance is sitting and feeling bad for our sins, right? Or oftentimes we go about experiencing freedom from sin in our own strength. We don't repent, we often just try harder. We do this. You see, repentance is the doorway that moves us through. It's not our own strength. It's not trying to clean up our lives and become a better person. Repentance is the doorway. Repentance doesn't leave you feeling sorrowful. There might be temporary sorrow, but repentance leads to joy. Repentance leads to hope. And when we understand that repentance is not the goal, repentance is a gift. It sets us free. It makes us want to run to repentance. John 10.10 said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That's God's desire. The lies we live in, the fears that overtake us, uh, the enemy doesn't play kindly. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Repentance brings us in to the life and the truth of Jesus that came to give us abundant life. You know, I believe that God today wants to set some of us free from generational patterns through the gift of repentance. Generational patterns that we've taken into our relationships, our marriages, the way we see ourselves, I believe that some of us today, God wants to set free from lies that we've lived about ourselves that aren't working for us. Yeah. Lies that we, we carry around and they're like 50 pound weights and we carry them about ourselves, we carry them about God and they shape our expectations and they shape our emotions. You see, trying harder is not gonna get you out of that. Changing your mind back to truth about what God says is going to set you free of that. Repentance is a gift, my friends, and today, some of us are gonna get set free, or at least begin a process of getting set free. And you see, the lie of the enemy is this. The deceptive lie is that there's not a real urgency. Well, as long as my sin or the lie I'm believing about myself isn't hurting anyone, it's not a big deal. It's not hurting anyone, and you know, I know I believe this about myself, and I know I feel like I stink, and I feel like I always fail, and, but it's not hurting anyone else. Like, it's just, you know, I'm just gonna live here in this place and kind of feel sorry for myself. That's the lie in the garden. Didn't the serpent come and say, you won't really die. If you eat of this fruit, if you believe this lie, you won't really die. You won't really experience death. It's not gonna hurt anyone. You see, Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. The lies we believe destroy our soul. 
And what they end up doing is dividing our relationships. We might have our pet sin and our pet lie on the side that doesn't hurt others directly, but all of a sudden it divides our relationships. It separates us because of the shame we live in. It makes us feel distant from God and others, right? The lie is that there's not an urgency to repent and find life. But I wanna remind you that God's kingdom is at hand. That hope is here. And that's the beautiful news about Christmas. It's a reminder that hope is here. God's kingdom is reigning all over the world and he's setting up shop in people's lives and setting people free and the invitation is for you to experience that again today. Now, if we're honest, this is often a struggle. Moving kind of from one side to the other, moving into repentance is often a struggle because we've lived a certain way or thought a certain way for so long, right? We've developed patterns. We saw our dad and our mom do it. We saw our dad's dad, right, and all those people. Or, 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 we, or it's, we live in a contested space, right? The, the space for our souls and the world around it is contested. We battle with the world. We battle with our flesh or like our own desires that apart from God, we battle with the devil. We're living in contested space. Now that's why a number of verses later, John the Baptist says this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse eight, he said this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying this to the Pharisees. These are religious people who kind of, we repented once, we have it all together, right? He said, no, 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 you've got to keep repenting. You've got to keep bearing fruit, and bearing fruit comes from a lifestyle of repentance. It's not something we do once when we're saved and we prayed a prayer and say, oh, you know, or it's not something that we like, oh, I repented back there and I heard a good sermon from the pastor and now I know what I need to do. It's all going to be good and gravy, you know, and repented once. No, it's a lifestyle of repentance that gets us to where we want to go and bear the fruit. Let me put it this way. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice that we do every single day. Let me frame it like this. How often do you brush your teeth? Now, I, got, we, I know we got some dentists in the house, so, you know, don't shout it out too loud. But how often do you brush your teeth, right? Now, if it's below, you know, definitely below one time a day, then don't shout it out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you don't wait until you have a dental nightmare to brush your teeth. Nor do you brush your teeth once when you're young, and then, you know, I'm like, I'm good, right? Well, we brush our teeth at the beginning of the day, we brush our teeth at the end of the day, and then sometimes we eat something nasty, and we brush our teeth again in the middle of the day, right? Repentance is like that. I'm not talking about getting saved again. I'm talking about the lifestyle of living in our salvation the lifestyle of experiencing the power of that salvation is an ongoing process that we walk into day by day by living a life of repentance. What if instead of seeing repentance like this big bad word we do when we have a mortal sin that we don't really want to tell people about but we feel so shameful that eventually we have to just to feel better about ourselves. What if instead of seeing it like that, we saw repentance as a gift that we just practice every day. We start the day by, God, is there anything I need to repent to my wife of, or my, 
my, my friends of, or just before the Lord? At the end of the day, is there anything I did today that I just need to like make right? Did I need to send a text to anyone? Do, have I had an attitude or what? You know, what if, what if it was, it's so freeing. And I think if we practice that as a discipline, we would not only experience so much more of Jesus, but we wouldn't have big moral blow-ups or relational blow-ups in our marriages and our friendships and our roommates, right, in our, with our kids, because it's just a normal thing to get humble. Like, y'all, this ought to be the hallmark of Christians. Not pointing fingers at other people and making a huge deal out of every little thing and demonizing other people. The hallmark of Christians ought to be, you know what, I was wrong. And I apologize. The hallmark of Christians ought to be, God, I fall short and I need you and I repent and thank you that you forgive me. The hallmark of Christians ought to be, you know what, because I value this relationship, I want to make this right, and I'll start by owning my stuff. That's the mark of a Christian. Not a Republican or a Democrat or this or that. The hallmark of a Christian is a living a life of repentance because we believe in a greater news. We live in a greater kingdom. Now, practically, three levels of repentance that I want to share. One is actions. A number is attitudes. A third is beliefs. You see, we often, when we think of repentance, we think of number one, we live in this one space. We screw up, and then we feel bad, and then we think, oh, I should probably do something. And by the way, sorry is not repentance. <laughs> we got free in our marriage when we moved from feeling sorry to repenting to one another. That's what set us free. We broke our patterns when we changed our mind and realized that was sin and called it sin and owned it. Not just saying, oh, sorry, <laughs> I feel bad that you feel bad. <laughs> sorry I inconvenienced you because it makes me feel shame, and I'm really just sorry that I feel shame right now. You know, no, repentance. We often live in actions, but repentance goes deeper. And in fact, if we're gonna experience deep freedom in our life, our repentance needs to touch on all three of these levels. Okay, for God's kingdom to deeply take root and to experience that abundant life, we want repentance to take all three of those levels. So for example, right, I know, uh, yeah, overall the, the kids are out. So if, if I'm looking at pornography or stuff online, right, by the grace of God, I'm not. But let's just say, if we're, if we're, if we're struggling with that, right, the behavior is I have a pattern when I'm feeling a certain way of doing this. The attitude often that keeps us there is, well, I'm not taking it that seriously and I kind of like, I'm not gonna tell anyone or whatever because I'm afraid of getting found out. The lie is that if someone knows, I'll be demonized. The lie is that I'm not worth enough to have a deep relationship. The lie is I can consume someone I don't know for my benefit rather than loving them and serving them. The lie is this person, this other person is not made in the image of God. Or let me just use marriage as an example, right? An action might be I wall up and run for long periods of time when I don't feel understood. The attitude is I get cold and indifferent and there's a pattern of indifference and coldness towards my spouse or my roommate or my friendships or whatever. The lie is 
I don't believe God will meet me in that place. I don't believe I can take that emotion to God. The lie is, I don't wanna give my spouse the same grace that I expect from them, right? And so we want our repentance to touch those levels and for truth to enter in. And I just wanna make a quick note on this beliefs level, right? Because this is where we really get set free. I had to realize in my marriage, I had patterns of shame when I felt unloved and unseen. And so what I would do is kind of like wall up and and whatever, and I'd get a little chippy or whatever. I had to repent that I was abdicating my role of loving her like Jesus. And I had to repent that I was not embodying Jesus to her. And I had to repent of the lie that I was unlovable and that I was a failure as a husband. Because that's what I, at the core, when I would wall up, I felt like a failure. I felt like, oh, you don't see, you don't appreciate, I stink. That's just the narrative over my life. I stink. That was a narrative I believe when I was growing up. I stink. I'm a failure. When I got to that level, boom, we're getting free. Real connection in marriage is happening, right? And so it's a pattern of kind of going deeper and, and getting set free. And so on beliefs, it could be generational beliefs. Right, it could be lies that we believe about ourselves or the nature of God. These aren't cognitive thoughts we think. Like I wasn't waking up like my meditation is I'm a failure, God. Thank you, Lord, you made me to be a failure and you are gonna leave me. You know, like no one's cognitively reinforcing that. Those are lies we suddenly believe under the surface, right? It could be lies of ideology. Uh, this Nigerian theologian, Dr. Sunday, uh, he was talking about some Boko Haram, which is a, a jihad, you know, where, where numerous people have just been killed in their country. Um, and uh, he was saying this of the West. He said, all Christians face persecution. In Nigeria, it looks like Boko Haram. But in the West, it looks like ideology. And you see, what the enemy loves to do is put out dangerous ideologies in lucrative packages in our world and our culture that lead us to a rotten destination. It'll often have an element of truth, but at its core, it's often rotten. And so I look at the anxiety happening in people and the church and the division that's entered the church, and I just want to say, there's a lot of repentance that needs to happen. And at its core, I believe the enemy is infiltrated through the right and the left and politics and social media and all that chaos into the church with some things that look kind of Christian, but at its core, they don't submit to Jesus. And it's on both sides. And, so it's, and for, for many of us, it's not producing the fruit that we thought it would. And I was telling a friend today, the best thing that can happen right now is we get hugely disappointed in these false gods. I'm not saying we don't get involved in politics. I'm all, I'm all for that. But we don't worship it. And so repentance goes from action to attitude to beliefs. And so just a simple kind of practice this can look like in our lives is three things. Stop Talk to Jesus, and then take action. So when you're starting to feel, you know, in, in, in your relationships, or even just personally, you're going throughout the day and your anxiety is going up. 
The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, patience, I think was in there. When that's not happening, stop. Recognize, hey, my check engine light's on right now. Don't beat yourself up. Don't, I stink. I'm not a good Christian. No, no, no. That's the enemy getting to you. Just stop. It's okay. You're doing fine. Your check engine light's on. You're loved. Come bring that check engine light to Jesus. He'll hook up that little thing, you know, that spits out the numbers and tells the mechanics what is going on. He'll hook that thing up with you, you know, and, and, and talk to him and ask him, you know, what am I feeling? And why am I feeling this way? You know, oh, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling anxious because I feel like, oh, I'm believing this lie. And then what is the truth? That could be something the Holy Spirit reminds you of. It could be something you go to scripture on. It could just be something common sense. Oh, that's not true, right? And then from there, we can take action. Oh, I need to go apologize to this person. I need to just sit with Jesus and kind of give my burdens to him, right? God, I give you this lie, and I'm embracing the truth. I want to sit in the truth, right? And so for me, this week, right, I, I, I did that in my marriage. Last Sunday night, we were trying to plan the week, and I kind of got all chippy and this and that, and I was kind of like half engaging, and I realized I'm just a little overwhelmed. So I came back the next morning. I'm like, I think I know what was going on last night. I apologize. With one of my kids this week, I had a conversation of just something I think I did early in my parenting years. And like, hey, you know what? I didn't do that great of this early, earlier in my parenting. How did that impact you? Hey, I apologize for that, you know? How's dad doing now, you know? Um, it, it looked like surrendering my fears to him this week and, 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 and repenting for believing lies about my world and how God's leading me. And on the other side of those, I found deeper relationship, peace, hope, joy, life. Because you see, repentance is not a big thing we do when we morally blow up. Repentance is a lifestyle we live. So I want to do this for a second. Just in our chairs, if we can have a worship team member. Thank you, Joe. What, what is that area for you where you need that good news of the kingdom to enter into your heart and life. For some of you, it may be a first time. Maybe you need to meet Jesus for the first time today. You need to, to let him come into your world and forgive your sin. But for most of us, we're trying to follow Jesus and we often have parts of our life where he's on the throne and parts of our life where we're trying to do it on our own. Where might he want to break into your fears, your anxiety, your brokenness, your relational pain? Where, he might, where might he want to step in? And so I just want to stop in that area. What is that emotion there right there? And just take that, take that to Jesus. What am I feeling? What am I believing about myself? What am I believing about God behind this emotion? What is the truth? 
what do you say about me, Jesus? What do you say about this relationship, Jesus? Who are you in this space, Jesus? spouse or a friend today. Maybe just like you did yesterday and maybe like you will tomorrow. You need to go to that person today. Some of you need to shoot a text message. Some of you just need to maybe get on, get before the Lord in your chair or even come up here and get before the Lord. We're gonna have a prayer team available as well. Maybe some of you need prayer. You need someone else to speak truth over you. That's the beauty of the body is that sometimes we're weak and we need someone else to remind us of the truth because we can't believe it for ourselves right now. We're gonna have a prayer team available on the sides that wants to be the hands and feet of Jesus to encourage you, to pray for you. Maybe you just need God to show up and do a miracle in some other way. We'd love to pray for you as well. But we're gonna respond and worship right now. Father, we thank you. And we thank you that we've got great news. A kingdom that is breaking forth. A kingdom that is growing in our hearts and our lives and our, our friendships and marriages like a seed, breaking and, and budding forth hope and life and beauty in the midst of our brokenness. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Come kingdom of God into our brokenness. Come invade. Let, our, let us open our hearts in repentance to receive all that you have.